We left off on uh, chapter 5 of Acts and um, summarizing and looking at what happened here with Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, a little lie will get you in a little bit of trouble, right? And so they uh, certainly uh, not an overt and and, uh, blatant lie, but an omission of the truth to be sure. And uh, the punishment that is associated with that. And so we looked at, uh, again, and we want to emphasize this as we're going through the book of Acts, the most important uh, theme that you can take uh, throughout this book, and you see it manifested in a lot of different ways, is the coming of the Holy Spirit and the effects of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And you certainly see it here in chapter 5 of Acts as they uh, are stated here to have lied to the Holy Spirit, and there are severe consequences that come along with it. Well, let's read the the text, and then we'll, uh, chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 1 and just read through. Uh, It's been a couple weeks since we've been here. Uh, But pick it up at verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all of them that heard these things. And the young man arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the, tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thine husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down uh, straightway at his feet, and yielded up the, the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her uh, by her husband." And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And so uh, you see quite severe consequences that you don't see in uh, many other parts of Acts here uh, for this lying to the Holy Spirit. And what is the response of it? In the next two verses, you're going to see that. And that's what we'll get into today. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest, there's no man join himself uh, to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that uh, they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter uh, passing by might overshadow some of them. And so you see this uh, real reverence that they had for the apostles. And I think as I was studying this out, you wonder, 
Should it have been more of a reverence for God, this word that we're going to see, uh, for they magnified him, or, or the apostles, really, we only see it in other places directed toward God. And so their reaction was very interesting in that their immediate reaction is not to look to the true person who did this. What did Peter say? He said, you've not lied to men, but to God. And their reaction is a little bit unique in this. Uh, but we'll get to that uh, here probably by the end. And so let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll, we'll uh, get back into this study through the book of Acts. Father, we're uh, grateful for this day and grateful um, that we uh, have an appropriate understanding uh, or ability to appropriately understand the utilization of the Holy Spirit and this present salvation that we're able to uh, partake in. We're grateful that uh, these uh, brothers and sisters who were a long time off uh, at the beginning of the church went through what they went through uh, so that we might understand how we are to operate in this Christian life. And certainly, uh, learning and growing uh, through a knowledge of uh, what you desire for us was not uh, easy for them, and there were bumps and bruises along the way, uh, but we are the beneficiaries of being able to, to see um, how you operated through them, uh, through the Holy Spirit, and, and by that we can uh, more perfectly live out this Christian life. And so we pray that uh, as we enter into this study, again, that we'd have that appreciation uh, that we should have for the grace that's been uh, provided for us and those things that we can do uh, as a result. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, and so um, looking back on page 48, I believe, and let's um, let's just take it... Um, And it's hard to tell. I didn't leave, mark my notes here last time. Uh, but we're coming into verse 11. But remember back here, and we were talking about uh, Sapphira and how uh, she had the opportunity there to tell the truth about what happened. And Peter's going to question her, right? And he doesn't uh, quite let her know, hey, I've talked to your husband <laughs> before, and this is what happened. She has no idea what's happened with him. And so she has the opportunity to come in and tell the truth concerning what happened. But what does she do? She goes along with the story that her and her husband have agreed to do. And so in verse, uh, uh, pick it up in verse 8, or verse uh, 7, it says, And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, uh, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yay, for so much. And so again, we've used the example here and who knows what the, the prices were, but let's say they sold that land for $100,000, right? And they, uh, they brought 75,000 to the apostles and said, this is the whole of what we have, right? And so they kept back that 25,000 <laughs> to themselves. And uh, she's going to say, yeah, we sold the land for 75000 rather than the 100000 that they actually sold it for. And I want to emphasize here what Peter said early, and we've emphasized this before. They were under no obligation that they had to sell the whole land, and, and they could have kept back the price if they wanted to. It was theirs to do what they wanted to. Uh, but they decided that they were going to lie. And so uh, in verse 9, we see uh, Peter <laughs> kind of uh, uh, scolding her here. And it says, And Peter said unto her, How is it 
that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord. Uh, Behold, the feet of them which have buried thine husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And I've joked here before, I'll joke again today. What must have been going through her mind when he said this? She has no idea what happened to her husband. And now she's probably looking around thinking, my God, what's going to happen here? Uh, and so it wasn't a, a great moment uh, there for, for Sapphira prior to her death. And so she falls to the ground in the same manner uh, of her husband and collapses. And so uh, Peter, uh, again here in verse uh, 9, states the verdict. And, and he informs her that her husband was indeed dead by the statement of these individuals coming. And then she informs her that she would uh, suffer the same fate. And so in point four, we see there the act of death and burial of uh, Sapphira. She collapsed immediately following the words of Peter. And she died in a similar way to Ananias. And remember, we emphasized, I think it was last time that we were here, uh, that this word for gave up the ghost is similar, but not the same as what's used for the Lord when he died on the cross, right? It says he breathed out or his spirit left his body. Here, what's emphasized for them is their soul left their bodies. And so uh, I think it's very interesting that that's used instead of spirit. As we know, uh, both the spirit and the soul leave the body when you die. And so, um, again, I just wanted to point out that that distinction uh, as we see it there. Uh, And she was collected by the same young men that gathered Ananias and they buried her. And so... Uh, You see in verse 11, uh, as we get to verse 11, uh, the response of those that saw it, and I think by proxy, those that are around and uh, part of the church, what was it? Great fear, right? Fear is upon them. And if you've seen these actions and you know that you're a person that's subject to like sins as these individuals, you probably would be in a little bit, bit of fear too as to what could possibly happen. And so uh, I think as they're working this out, they're not quite sure what to make of the Holy Spirit. What has Peter said to them here? You lied to the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, what happened? These two individuals died. And so uh, that that causes fear amongst those that are are believing, especially among those that saw it. Uh, And so in verse 11, it says, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as it heard these things. And so uh, <laughs> just a, a, a terrible moment here for these individuals that, that knew what happened. Uh, and so in verse 11, uh, in your notes there, point, uh, sub point three, it says appreciation uh, for the authority of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I say reverential fear, but I think this is real fear of what could happen if you don't operate uh, in the correct way. And then uh, carefulness and conduct. Now, our next section is verses uh, 12 through 42, as I have it uh, kind of broken out in your notes there. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 16 here in the immediate future. And so you see uh, in those verses uh, the continued operation of the apostles. And so as they're going forward and uh, being the voice and mouth of of God the Father uh, in their operation, Uh, you see uh, signs and wonders that continue to uh, come from them. And so in verse 12, it says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. 
And they were all uh, with one accord in Solomon's porch. And so we've heard this, this term used several times here of one accord. It's kind of that idea of being of the same soul and mind uh, in how they're conducting themselves. And so uh, the continuance of signs and wonders is seen in verse 12 and uh, the hands uh, of these apostles being the instrument utilized by God through the Holy Spirit to accomplish these signs and wonders. And so uh, what do we see here when they go forth and do these healings? They do it with their hands, uh, sometimes with words. And so you see this expressed here. Uh, and then we see the solidarity of the apostles uh, uh, I don't know why I put solidarity there twice, uh, and meeting uh, at the temple. And so remember that Solomon's porch is part of the uh, temple. Verse 13, we see the hesitance of the other saints to publicly join to the apostles. And so uh, verse 13, and it says, And the rest, there's no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And so here's what we alluded to earlier as we were talking about it, this word for magnifying them. Uh, first, look at this word for the rest, and we see it used many times in Scripture, and it has the idea of just that, the remaining ones uh, separate from uh, the rest of the group. And so I think uh, as you look at this, it pertains to the apostles. And so um, as besides Peter and John uh, in the context, and so they were afraid to join themselves, not only to these two, but to the rest of the apostles as well. Uh, they had this fear <laughs> associated with the event that they saw, uh, and it caused them to not want to join to them. Uh, and this word for dare is also a very interesting one. Um, as you're looking at the top of page 49, I flipped through the notes there pretty quickly. We see the resistance of the people to even dare to join themselves to them. This word for uh, tolema'o has that idea of uh, having the audacity or the daringness to uh, join one to another. Now, this word can be compared, and we did a little bit of this um, in our paper uh, at Washington, of these words for boldness or, or daring, uh, but this is a little bit different for that word for boldness. It, it just has the idea of, of having a courageousness to do something uh, that that might uh, otherwise not be done. And so uh, you see the uh, uses there in your um, footnotes on uh, footnote 61, uh, but we won't go too deeply into it. And so they they didn't, they were, you wouldn't say that they were cowardly, but they were, <laughs> were kind of afraid to join themselves to the apostles. And they put them up on this this pedestal that they were a little higher than the rest of the people, right? And so... Certainly, they weren't scared to go and talk to any of their brothers and sisters that they saw on a regular basis. But these apostles, they kind of put them up here. And you see this with the, the church today, right? As you're looking at pastors, the pastor is looked at up here and then all the rest of the hoi polloi are down here on an equal plane. And that is not the way that we should be looking at anyone as it relates to the body of Christ. And I think the church here early had it wrong as it pertained to these apostles. And maybe it was good for them to have a little reverence for the seriousness of the situation, but these apostles still should have been looked at as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see that relationship develop over time uh, as you look at some of these epistles from Paul uh, and Peter and the, the other apostles. Uh, and so uh, this hesitance to join, and this word to join uh, is to come into close association with, 
uh, to the apostles. And so let's look at a couple places where that word is used here in the book of Acts. And over in Acts chapter 9, in verse 26, we see this is used of Paul's actions uh, with the disciples after his conversion. He attempted to join himself to them. This word really for, for cleave uh, to them. And pick it up in verse 23. And it says there, And after uh, that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel uh, to kill him. But they, their uh, laying await was known of Saul, and they watched uh, the gates day and night uh, to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him uh, down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to, into Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. Uh, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. And so remember here, Paul's reputation <laughs> early on, uh, it scared people a little bit, right? You got this guy that was hunting and killing Christians, and now he's claiming to be a Christian himself. Is he trying to infiltrate us to, to, to kill us all off? Uh, and so you have a little bit of that going on there. But he's trying to join himself and align himself with those uh, believers that were, were there early, uh, and they were a little hesitant to do so themselves. Uh, we also see this use of Peter and the unlawfulness of, of joining to other nations as he's talking to Cornelius in uh, chapter 10 of Acts. Acts chapter 10 and verse 28. So remember the, the context here. Peter has been instructed to go into the house of this Gentile, uh, Cornelius, with his household. And they all end up being saved. Uh, and Peter is of the previous understanding that you're not supposed to have anything to do with the Gentiles. And this was not a false understanding, right, as they're operating under law. But uh, the Lord is showing him here that, that things have uh, changed a bit. Um, and so you see this here. Pick it up in uh, verse 23. It says, Then called he uh, them in and lodged, uh, and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them. And certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him, and the, mor and the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called uh, together his kinsmen uh, and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am a man." Uh, verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many uh, that were to, uh, come together. And he said unto them, you know how that it is un an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company. Uh, there's our word there, keep company, or to come unto another uh, nation, one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And so remember the vision that he was given concerning the foods that came down in this sheep and the Lord told him to kill and eat. And these were all uh, foods that were considered unclean uh, under the law. Uh, but he's showing him here that this is no longer the case. Something has changed. Uh, but this word for attach or keep company is this word for cleave to, uh, uh, to join yourself to. And so this is what the, the, um, 
you know, the members of the church were unwilling to do as it relates to the apostles back in uh, chapter 5. We see a couple other places for it, and, and bear with me here just a second. I want to give just a little bit more flavor of this word. Um, And so this idea of cleaving to an individual uh, has an idea of a, an association. Uh, there it is. Okay. I didn't put all of the references down that I wanted to, to add here. Um, so in chapter 8 of um, <coughs> Acts as well, we see this used uh, with reference to Philip. And how he uh, joined himself uh, to this Ethiopian eunuch, or this Ethiopian eunuch joined himself to him. So go back with me to Acts chapter 8. So remember here, uh, Philip is, is going along, walking along, and this Ethiopian eunuch is in a, a chariot riding along, and he uh, sees him, and he's going to come or tell him to come up and join himself uh, to him or have an association with them to explain what's going on with this, this verse that he's reading. Uh, but pick it up in uh, verse 26. It says, And the angel from the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is uh, desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of, Ethiop of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read uh, Isaiah the prophet. Then uh, the spirit said unto uh, Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And so you see this idea of him coming together with this individual. Uh, and it, the result is, is he's going to explain to him or expound to him uh, what's going on with this verse that he's reading. In verse 30 it says, And Philip ran thither, thither uh, to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah uh, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except someone should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Uh, and the place of the scripture which he uh, read was, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he uh, not his mouth. And so you see, uh, Philip is going to be able to expound on the gospel because of where he was reading. Uh, and this eunuch is able to, to be saved as a result. Uh, one more place over in uh, Acts chapter 17 and verse 34. And I'm just going to stick to the ones that we see here in the book of Acts. There's several more that we could go to. Um, but in Acts chapter 17 and verse 34, we see Paul here uh, in Athens. And um, let me get over there <laughs> while I'm speaking. But Acts 17 verse 34, and he's going to uh, here give his uh, great eloquent speech concerning God or his, his reasonable defense for uh, uh, God being the true God of all of these guys that they're serving. And remember, they said... Uh, they have all of these gods up here, and, and one, they have a place for this God that's unknown. And he says, this one is the one that's the true and living God. Uh, 
very eloquent speech, but it falls flat on his face as far as them uh, believing. Uh, pick it up in uh, verse 31. He says, I'll well, go back a little bit further in the, the context here. Um, pick it up in verse 22. He says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive in all things you are too super, superstitious. For as I pass by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him I declare unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with man's hands, uh, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, uh, if haply they may feel after him and uh, find him, though he may, uh, be not far from every one of us. And so here, <laughs> I like this word here, and so I take a second to uh, uh, talk about it. This idea here of feeling after him is the idea of a blind man groping in the dark trying to find something, right? And so as you look at these unsaved people and look at us, we are all in a place where we're groping after God, blind and unable to see. And he saved us and caused us to be able to see. Um, and so you see this here in verse 28, it says, for in him we live and move and have our being as certain of also of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and men's devices. It sounds a little bit like where they got to in Romans chapter 1, right? Where they're uh, worshiping the creation more than the creator. Here's an example of it uh, with these guys. In verse 30 it says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men uh, everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in uh, righteousness by that man whom he ordained, or he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him out from dead ones. Uh, verse 32, and when they had heard the resurrection of the dead, <laughs> here's, here's the punch, right? And here's where you get with people. Uh, I like the example that, that my dad gave concerning uh, this guy that he's, talking to at work, right? And he's tracking with them along with everything until he gets to this resurrection from the dead. And he says, you don't mean to tell me that you think a man could raise from the dead. What foolishness, right? And this is what these guys are going to say here uh, in verse 32. And when they heard the resurrection out from among dead ones, not just that he died and was raised again, that he died and he is out from among those that will ever have to raise again, right? These ones that are dead and are going to need resurrection, he raised out from among them. Some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of, of this matter, concerning this matter. So Paul departed from them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed among uh, the which was Dionysius, the Ara, uh, Ara, 
Boy, I cannot. Uh, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, a woman named Damaris and others with him. And so you see, it didn't completely <coughs> fall flat. There were some that uh, did believe. But as for Paul, I think his intention was to really project this eloquent speech to these people that were seen as uh, these kind of intellectuals. And I'm going to uh, put forward God and, and uh, they're going to believe. Well, that, that didn't happen, but <laughs> a couple believed and uh, claved to him or uh, joined themselves alongside of him. So as you're going back to chapter five, this kind of association is what we're talking about as you look in verse 13 in these uh, uh, kind of standoffish behavior with the church toward these apostles. They're putting them up on this, this pedestal that's above the rest of them, right? And uh, probably not the right thing to have done, but that's uh, what they were doing uh, here early. And so it says, the rest, there's uh, no man join himself to them or cleave to them, but they magnified them. Uh, and so this word for magnified has the idea of making something large or enlarging something in your mind. And so as you think about it, uh, we don't do it a lot in this church, but I've seen other churches where they magnify God or they make God large in their minds or in their hearts. Um, and, and so you see this word there um, in your notes. And let me get back to them. Um, we see this word used in a, uh, several different places, but just the uh, definition of it is to make great or magnify. And this is coming from Thayer's uh, um, lexicon here. Uh, properly of dimension, so we see it used that way in, in many places, uh, that his, uh, and used of Paul, that his apostolic efficiency among uh, the Corinthian saints may increase more and more uh, and have more abundant results. So you see the, the idea there of a multiplication of something into something great. And so uh, this is how they, they looked at or viewed Paul the Apostle, or excuse me, uh, the Apostles during this time. Um, this is usually reserved for God. And so we see several places where this word is used. And again, most of the time they're used with regard to God. Go with me over to Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. Now here we see Mary. I'm sorry, sorry, Luke chapter 1 and verse 36, 46. And here's the, the so-called song of Mary as she's, um, we, we see many places in scripture where uh, people of God go into these places where they're <clears throat> magnifying God for who he is or what he's done. Uh, we see Moses do it in the Old Testament. We see uh, Moses' sister do it as well. And they call these the songs of uh, these individuals. Here we see it with Mary. Uh, she goes on a long uh, diatribe concerning uh, the greatness of the works that God has done. Uh, but pick it up in verse 39 of uh, chapter 1 of Luke. And it says there, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country uh, with haste into the city of Judah and entered unto the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence 
uh, is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is he, or is she, excuse me, that believeth, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told uh, her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And so my soul makes the Lord large uh, in my heart. And so she has a emotional reaction to something that is happening spiritually here. And so I think this is the, the proper reaction as you see it in verse 47. Uh, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is the na- or, or is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty for their seats and exalted the low or to them of low degree. And so she goes on and on there. But you see this thanksgiving that Mary is giving on behalf of God and this praise that she's directing to him for who he is, for having given her this opportunity to be the mother of the Lord. And so we see that here also over in. Uh, Acts chapter 10 and verse 46, we see the Jews uh, with Peter magnified God uh, for the Gentiles being saved and receiving the Holy Spirit. And so we were over here just a few minutes ago uh, as we looked at the idea of of, uh, Peter not wanting to cleave to the nations previously. Uh, But here uh, we see this use of the magnification. So Peter didn't come here alone. There were a group of Jews with him, and after they see what's happened here with the Gentiles, what is their response? They're going to magnify the Lord as a result of it. Uh, but pick it up in verse 44, and it says there, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them which heard the word, and they uh, of the circumcision which believed were astonished. And this word for astonished has the idea of being outside of yourself. Uh, You're just in total and utter awe as to what's going on. And as many as came with Peter, because that uh, on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, uh, can any man forbid water that these should be or should not be baptized which uh, received the Holy Spirit as well. And so what do you see here? You see a, a picture of what we do with baptism ourselves, right? Something already happened inside of these individuals and that the Holy Spirit uh, filled them uh, and certainly baptized them. But outwardly, they're going to display that they're uh, in line with this uh, receiving of the Holy Spirit by giving water baptism. Uh, but the part we want to look at is these ones that were with Peter magnified God, right? And so if they would, would have been of the old mind that they were that, hey, Gentiles, no, <laughs> bad Gentiles, stay away from us, then they wouldn't have magnified God for what he had done in this circumstance. But they got an opportunity to see what God is doing now. It has changed, right? It's certainly a change from what uh, there was before. And over in chapter 19 and verse 17, one of my favorite uh, 
interactions in scripture. We see the seven sons of Sceva who thought they could take upon themselves the, uh, <laughs> the power to cast out demons. And they found out uh, <laughs> you probably want to be uh, truly empowered to cast out a demon before you go try to cast them out. Uh, and certainly here they paid the price uh, for not, not having this ability. Um, and let's pick it up in verse 13. So remember here, there's a lot going on as far as these apostles are concerned and being able to do different miracles and cast out demons. Um, and this is one I like to, uh, I talked about the pastor in these uh, uh, CDs that he bought several years ago with uh, the sound effects and whatnot in the background. And you can listen to the Bible <laughs> with this. And this is a very funny interaction as I listen through <laughs> with this one. Because uh, they have the sounds of the demons, they have some slapping and all kinds of stuff going on. So it's a pretty interesting one. Uh, but pick it up in verse 13. He says, "In certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists took upon them uh, took upon them to call over them uh, which had evil spirits the name of the Lord, saying, We adjure thee or adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches." And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, Jesus, I know. And this know here is an experiential knowledge. And so I have an experiential knowledge of who Jesus is. And Paul, I'm aware of. I'm acquainted with this individual who is Paul. But who are you? And so he doesn't recognize them as having authority to continue on and cause this uh, spirit to leave this body. And so what happens? Verse 16. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus in fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was what? Magnified. And so we see this idea here of uh, them understanding that it is just not by any man that this power is being given, right? You can't just take it upon yourself and say, I'm going to go into this house and cast out this demon in the name of the Lord. doesn't work that way. And so they've certainly seen that this power has been given to others, and others have been able to do this. And they magnify the Lord uh, and fear fell upon them uh, also. And then lastly, over in uh, Philippians chapter one and verse 20, we see Paul desired for Christ uh, to be magnified through his body. And we'll close out with this one um, or this will be our last verse that we'll go to. But Philippians chapter one and verse 20. Now, where is Paul? Anyone know where Paul is writing from as he's writing this epistle? Where are we at? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. He's in prison, right? There you go. And you've got it perfectly there, Scott. And so think about that as we're reading through. Uh, and pick it up in verse 14. He says, And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And some indeed preach Christ, uh, even of envy and strife, and some of also of goodwill. 
The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. This word for prayer here, here is our word for supplication. Uh, and the supply of the Spirit from Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that uh, with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be in by life or by death. And so you understand here as Paul's in prison, he doesn't have any expectation that he's certainly going to be released. Um, he doesn't know what's going to happen. But what does he desire? He desires that Christ be enlarged, made, made large through his body and through whatever uh, becomes of him. So good, good answer there, Brother Scott. Uh, and so as you're looking back, and we'll close out here over in Acts chapter 5, and we're thinking of these um, believers here at the beginning of the church, this is how they're looking at the apostles. They're making them large. And that I don't think it's in the way that Paul's talking about here, where he wants things to be done through him that enlarges the Lord, because it's not stated in this way. It says they magnified the apostles. They put the apostles up on this high uh, pedestal, and I, I think it's going to take over the course of time for them to learn how to truly uh, interact with these apostles, and you see it an ongoing process throughout the book of Acts. Uh, so next week we'll come back and we'll uh, continue on here uh, and finish up this point, and then jump to uh, Acts five seventeen through uh, forty two, and we'll look at um, uh, the persecution, new persecution that's faced by these apostles.